0: So I'll warn you, this is not a typical introduction. I'm going to be a little bit more forward. I'm not going to tell you a story about a rock that floats along the surface of a desert like I did a couple of weeks ago. I just couldn't think of a creative way to say this, but this is what I believe uh, God wants me to begin by telling you is, I love you all. And that might sound strange if there's first-time visitors. How can you love me if you don't know me? Uh, I love you with God's love for you, and I want you to know that even if you know me, my love for you is not a drop in the ocean compared to God's love for you. And that might be the most important thing you hear today that is the most important thing you'll ever hear in your life. And it's not entirely random, it's indirectly related to the passage today, so Uh, As deeply moving as that might be, uh, put it on the back burner uh, so that we can engage what God's word has to say to us the rest of this morning. Um, And now, just think about this. uh, What have you been striving for this week? Uh, To what end have you been working? Is there a deadline at work that you've been working towards meeting? Uh, Is there a to do list that you've been plugging away at for weeks? months, years, students did you get that grade, turn that paper in, for all of us did you feel good about the work that you did? A couple years ago I had a friend who's a coworker of mine and he told me that he works to live, meaning Monday to Friday he puts in the work so that Friday to Sunday he can live however he wants to and on the weekends. Um, and if that's your goal, you've made it to the weekend, so congratulations, you have another 13 hours uh, for your, to s- soak in the satisfaction of mission accomplished. And none of those things that I mentioned are bad, in fact, I believe they're all good in their proper time and place. It's not, I'm not going to speak a message against any of those things, and I'm not trying to bait and switch you, just trying to honestly reflect on our lives and what is good, what is success. Whatever we strive for, it does reveal, in part, what success means for us. Uh, If you're new here today, we've been going through a study called Experiencing God, and we're about halfway through now. So today we're going to focus on the topic of crisis of belief, and then next week we're going to focus on the topic of making adjustments. God calls us to make adjustments in our lives to him. And I had a hard time... uh, honestly, with these two topics because I just want to talk to you about what God's Word says and not what Blackaby says, even though I believe the study we're going through is founded on God's Word. But when you look in the Bible for the phrase crisis of belief or major adjustments in your life to God, uh, you come up a little bit dry. Um, But not when you're looking for the heart of the matter because what connects crisis of belief and the adjustments that we make is faith. And the Bible has a lot to say about faith. So this week and next week, we're going to be walking through Hebrews chapter 11. Uh, it speaks to faith. And so when Blackaby says crisis of belief, he just means an encounter with God that requires us to trust God for Him to come through. Because uh, you're trusting Him and not yourself. So that's what he means by crisis, right? You, you have to trust someone else and not yourself because we're all naturally wired to trust ourselves. Um, And we're actually called to do something about our trust and not just say, yeah, I believe this theoretically, but functional faith, what we do. And then major adjustments, uh, that involves repentance, turning away from ourselves and our thinking, our ways, our will to God's will. And so repentance is turning from self to God and that when we turn to God and trust him and do something about it, that's what the Bible says faith is. And as we repent and believe, one, that's how we come to know who God is, and two, that's how we come to grow as followers of Jesus. So you'll often hear repent and believe, you know, uh, the first time you come to faith, but that's what we need the rest of our lives to do as well. Over time, that's how God changes us. That's how he grows us. So today's text tells us what faith is. If faith is so important, we need to know what is it. And then I often learn the best through examples. And this passage gives us a number of examples, real life, true people who actually lived examples of faithfulness. Each one of them had their own crisis of belief because they weren't naturally inclined to be faithful to God either. Faithfulness to God... Is supernatural. It's not natural. It's the result of God at work in our lives. So let's hear what God has to say about faith. Hebrews 11, verse 1 through 16. It'll be on the screens behind me. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it, the men of old gained approval. By faith, we understand that the worlds were prepared by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things which are visible. By faith, Abel offered to God a better sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained the testimony that he was righteous. God testifying about his gifts, and through faith, though he is dead, Abel is dead because his brother Cain killed him, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he would not see death, and he was not found because God... Took him up, For he obtained the witness that before Enoch was taken up, he was pleasing to God. And without faith, it's impossible to please God. For anyone who comes to God must believe that he exists, that he is, and that God is a rewarder of those who seek him. By faith, Noah, being warned by God about things not yet seen, in reverence prepared an ark for the salvation of his household, by which Noah condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness, which is according to faith. By faith, Abraham, when he was called, obeyed by going out to a place which he was to receive for an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith, he lived as an alien in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, fellow heirs, of the same promise, for he was looking for the city which has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. By faith, even Sarah herself, Abraham's wife, received ability to conceive, even beyond the proper time of life, when she was too old to conceive, because she considered him, she considered God faithful, who had made that promise. Therefore, there was born even of one man, Abraham, And him as good as dead at that, as many descendants as the stars of heaven in number, and as innumerable as the sand which is by the seashore, all these died in faith without receiving the promises, but having seen them and having welcomed them from a distance, and having confessed that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For those who say such things make it clear that they're seeking a country of their own, and if indeed they'd been thinking of that country from which they went out, they would, have not, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. So, if you want to know what a passage is all about, one really helpful and really simple tool is look for repeated words. And what is obviously standing out in this passage is faith. It's repeated, or it's referenced uh, 13 times. And also what can help us understand a passage is just kind of saying, what's happening here? There's two things that are happening. There's direct teaching. Faith is this. This is what happened to these people. They all died in faith. But then there's also illustrations. So that's how we're going to approach This message is part one. We're just going to look at the plain teaching of this passage. What is faith? And then the illustrations. What do these people tell us about faithful living? So uh, first, the teaching is clear that faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it, the men of old gained approval. There is a reward for faith. And verse six says, without faith, it's impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he's a rewarder of those who seek him. And then there's also a timeline of faith. All these people died without receiving the promises. So looking at these three passages, verses one and two, verse six, verse 13, we can build a working definition of faithfulness. Faithfulness means being assured of what you don't see and what you don't attain in this life. They died without receiving the full promises. And I, I don't know about you, but I naturally view success in terms of attainment. I think that's what we're trained in this culture to view success as. You attain this house or that car, this job, that wealth, this valuable stuff. But how long does that success stay? It's never long. It's never long enough, at least. But this is what God says success is. He says success is faithfulness to him. By it, he's pleased. By it, we are approved. By it, they were approved. All these examples that we read about. So back to the intro. You need to understand that God loves you, right? And faithfulness is successfulness, but none of us are faithful, so not perfectly faithful, so how, how can he love us? Well, we don't earn his love by our faith. God loves you. Faithfulness is success, but we do not earn his love by our faith. Look at what 2 Timothy 2 says. If we are faithless, which we all are at different times, If we are faithless, God remains faithful, for he cannot disown himself. If you have received Christ as your Lord and Savior, he is living in you, and he will not disown himself in you. So when I say faithfulness is successfulness, don't think I need to be faithful in order to get God's approval. He's already given you his approval. You can't be loved any more or any less, but faithfulness matters it matters a lot to god so don't get those two things confused in fact let sh- let god's love for you drive your faithfulness our relationship status won't change before god but our experience will based on our faithfulness so for example if i'm short with my wife later today we're still going to be married but our interaction and our connection will have been negatively changed Until what happens? Until I repent. Until I acknowledge, hey, I made this mistake. I'm sorry. I don't want to do that again. And then I turn and believe this is the good life. Is loving her, laying my life down for her. The same thing is true in our relationships with God and with one another. This is how we were made. So what's the timeline for faithfulness? If faithfulness is success, then How far away are we, am I, from success? I think a lot farther than we'd like to be in terms of we want to attain it. All these people died not receiving the promises in full. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for. And Paul writes in Romans 8, who hopes for what he already has? Check your Christmas lists. Got something that you're already totally satisfied with on your Christmas list? Of course not. And the biblical definition of hope is so much more robust than our wishful thinking, ah, that'd be nice. Hope is sure because of what God has said. We can have a sure hope and not just a, oh, that's what I'd like. But we know that God's going to get what he'd like because he's sovereign. So the timeline for faithfulness is, is beyond this life. I mean, it, it's, faithfulness takes us up to the edge of our lives. Faithfulness is the goal, the rest of our lives. And we will receive a reward, but we should not expect it in this life. That's the teaching of Hebrews 11. The timeline is eternity. So instead of pursuing these fleeting pleasures, building, as C.S. Lewis said, mud castles, In the sand, when mansions and glory and eternal pleasure awaits us, let's exchange our temporary and wrong definition of success for a right definition of success. Successfulness is faithfulness. And so let's apply this before we move on to the illustrations. Are you okay with success not coming to its fullest fruition in this life for you. Are you okay with success being something that God defines about your life and not what you define? That's part of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Are you okay with ultimate success coming to completion later? Because if if you're not, we're all going to be looking for it in all the wrong places now. And this is hard for us, it's hard for me. We want success now, or better yet, we wanted it yesterday. And we all have different ideas of what success is, but God is the one with the right to define the success or lack thereof of our lives. And so here's another application. As a church, for us, faithfulness is successfulness. As we embrace it individually I believe God will lead us to embrace that collectively. Success is not multiple services or it's not a huge building. It's not getting more people in the doors. None of that's bad, but none of it is as good as God's definition of success. That successfulness is faithfulness. So what would it be like if we became a church that was increasingly convinced that faithfulness is successfulness? What would that be like? I don't know, but I want to find out. And I do know that regardless of the external results, we will be changed and God will be pleased. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Anyone who comes to him must believe he exists and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. That's part one. Part two is the illustrations, where he takes this teaching and brings it to life, literally with the lives of faithful people throughout the Old Testament. If you want to get a quick overview, maybe, uh, yeah, just a quick, maybe more interesting overview of the Old Testament, uh, read the book of Hebrews, chapter 11, right here, what we read today. It references Genesis chapter 1, chapter 4, chapter 5, chapter 6. And we're going to see next week, it just takes us all the way up to the time of Christ. And the Old Testament matters because God is communicating the same message. And it is faithfulness to Him, is successfulness. And so let's look at the marks, these illustrations that the author includes. He does it intentionally. He's not just like, oh yeah, there's Enoch, and oh yeah, there's this guy. No, he's including these intentionally. God himself, the Spirit, brought these authors along as to what to write. So let's see what they wrote and why they wrote it. I believe he wrote it to give us marks of faithfulness. If faithfulness is successful, successfulness to us and as a church and to us individually, the million-dollar question is, what is faithfulness? What is it? And the first mark I see is that there's more to life than what meets the eye. Look at verse 3. It says, By faith we understand that the worlds were prepared by the word of God so that what what is seen, what we live in, who we are, is made out of things that are not visible. So there's more to life than simply what you see and what I perceive. These things are real, but there's things that are just as real that we don't see. And a number of people out there. I mean, I've mentioned faith. This passage has mentioned faith. In our culture, I'm sure there's. You're not alone if you're like, I'm uncomfortable with that word. Like, it's a religious word. It's it's foolish talk. It's superstition. Uh, that's kind of our culture's approach to faith. Um, reason has kind of made faith obsolete. Is the attitude? We're so much more advanced than those before us. They're simply, they were simply comforting themselves with superstitions that helped them to cope with things that we now know. Um, I, I just got to say, if that were true, then legitimate scientists would still not be Christians. In 1916 and in 1997, the opposite ends of the century, the same percentage of scientists held to a belief in God, about 40%. And to me, I mean, if that's compelling to you, that's great, but this is a lot more compelling to me. Listen to the atheist. Listen to Christopher Hitchens. That's what I did this week. I, through the internet, asked him the question, does reason make faith obsolete? Here's his answer. No, but it should. No, but it should. It should. Reason should make faith obsolete, but it does not. Here's his direct quote. I myself would wish to say no, if only, now tune in, if only because I believe that the human capacity for wonder neither will nor should be destroyed or superseded. And so in the rest of his essay, I mean, he just pounds away at why reason should make faith obsolete. But this is his conclusion it doesn't, even though it should. And his, what's his basis for why it should? Did you catch that? His basis for why it should is, my faith tells me that reason doesn't make faith obsolete. His basis is faith. So if you're confused, it's because Hitchens violated the law of non-contradiction. In order for something to be true, it must not contradict itself. He says reason should make faith obsolete. Then he uses his faith, which should be obsolete according to him to say that reason doesn't make faith obsolete. And I think, no, I believe what God is requiring of his people, the church, is to kindly, lovingly speak and show the world, our culture, that that's not, God is not requiring us to exercise blind faith. He's asking us to base faith in facts. So this picture really helped me. Um, next slide. Thanks. This picture really helped me. I uh, learned it in seminary, but honestly, I got it from a tract. Tracts are these like real little booklets that are supposed to help people who don't believe, kind of consider the idea of Trusting in Jesus as Christ, and uh, got it from a tract uh, in seminary. Um, it's a picture. <laughs> faith here's, the, here's what the picture means. Faith follows facts. And feelings can follow faith, but sometimes they don't, because our feelings are unreliable. But the point of the picture is that our faith is not based in our feelings, nor is our faith based in our faith itself, because we think it should. Our faith is based on facts. And there's all sorts of great resources to verify facts. But here's what it comes down to. If you want to verify the facts, you've got to hear the evidence. You must weigh the evidence, and you must decide. Even if you don't decide, you're going to be deciding not to decide. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of Christ. So hear Christ's word, weigh it, and decide. That's why we encourage everyone in our small groups to, outside of small groups, get in the word daily because we all need to hear it, not just those who aren't with us on Sunday morning who don't believe the truth. Faithfulness is successfulness, and a mark of faithfulness is that there's more to life than meets the eye. That's hard for us right? We want to live based on what we know, but how do you know what you know? Your own plans, the leading experts of the day say so. They all require hope. They all require faith. Who are you going to trust? Here's the second mark of faithfulness from the illustrations. Living with the results. By faith, Abel offered a better sacrifice than Cain. He brought the very best to God as a sacrifice. His brother was jealous. His brother killed him. Genesis chapter 4. But God still speaks through the death of Abel. And so we got to live with the results of our faithfulness. The results are outside of our control. We can't always see faith from the outside, and the external results are not pretty. I thought this week, if Cain and Abel, like, was filmed and it was on TV as a show, and I was watching TV and a commercial for this show, Cain and Abel, came on, I'd want to turn the TV off, because that was ugly. There weren't machine guns, but it was an ugly death. He killed his brother. And that's pretty powerful. But Jesus on the cross also wasn't pretty, and that's pretty powerful too. Faithfulness is successfulness, regardless of the results. We're willing to live with the results and die with the results when we believe that faithfulness is successfulness. And we're willing to live and die for the results because we know that we'll live again. Just like we sang this morning, we believe in the resurrection. So the third mark of faithfulness that we see in this passage is that faithfulness is being different than the world. We see this all over the place, uh, especially in the the conclusion, uh, verse 13 through 16. They were strangers and aliens. They knew they didn't belong here. Enoch, he was different than the world. If you read Enoch, it doesn't say much about him, but what it does say Up till then is just genealogy. And then what what it says after him is right before the flood and Noah, um, God was grieved. He was sad because he saw that all over the world, men's hearts were evil all the time. And then there was Enoch in the middle of all that. How different was Enoch from the men of his time that he walked with God? And he wasn't different like weird and off-putting. God never encourages us to be weird. That's important distinction. Why are you different? It, you're, we are called to be different because we walk with God. The same thing for Noah. He was different than the world around him. So does your relationship with God set you apart in any way? Faithfulness is successfulness. It's not a question to guilt you. It's a question to encourage you. This is what we're called to be. This is successfulness. Faithfulness. And so I think the mark of faithfulness, if you've tracked with me till the end now, the mark that ties all these other marks together is doing what God tells you. Faith for Abraham in verse eight was going without knowing. Going isn't necessarily faithfulness unless God tells you to go. And then he lived in tents with his son and his grandson. Living in tents isn't necessarily faithfulness unless God says, this is the land I want you to live in. And again, faith faith isn't blind, but it's also not completely fulfilled, right? It's already, but not yet. And I really needed to hear this. I want you to hear this with Sarah. It says, she considered him faithful. And if you read the story in Genesis, what did Sarah do? She laughed when God made that promise. And then the writer of Hebrews says, she considered him faithful. He's not being sarcastic. Faithfulness is not about perfection, it's about direction. And that's true of not just Sarah, but Abraham, who was a chronic liar. Noah, who got drunk after the flood. I mean, we don't get the details on Enoch, but I'm sure he had some dirt too. It's not about perfection, it's about direction. And so the final analysis is that they moved forward trusting God. It wasn't their faith, it wasn't the perfection of their faith that saved them, it was the direction, it was the person. It was the object of their faith. Not the amount of faith, but the object of their faith. The Lord Jesus Christ saved them, and he is here to save us. So let's, dis- let's apply these principles. First, we have to decide that faithfulness to God is our new successfulness. We have to make that choice, even when it doesn't feel like successfulness. Faithfulness is successfulness. And then the second application, and this is something that if you've been around, you've heard. This is why we're going through the Blackerby study, is we must hear from God to be faithful. Hebrews 1.1, in the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways, but now he has spoken to us through his son. He is still speaking to us through his son. We have the spirit of Christ in us as followers of Jesus. So, if you struggle with that, if you struggle with hearing from God, do not feel ashamed. It is not natural to hear from God. And if you're new, I'm not talking about hearing an audible voice from God like you're hearing my voice ringing through your ears. It's it's not natural, but start training in that. So get time in his word daily, get around other people who are training towards that same end and you will begin to hear from God. But if we don't train and if we don't listen, then how can we expect to hear from God? And so Sarah, this is the gospel though for us, this is what we need. Sarah, the one who laughed at God, considered him faithful and she was counted faithful. Not because of her perfect belief, but because of the perfect one in whom she believed. And no matter who you are today or where you're at, how long you've walked with God, you too can be forgiven and changed and counted faithful by the faithful one. He will make you faithful. Will you follow him? We started by thinking about our goals this past week, the things that we strove for, how our ambitions were exercised. Now use those the past week Use that to just zoom out on your life. Google Earth view. What makes your life successful? If your honest answer is, honest answer, is anything other than faithfulness to God, repent, turn away from that, and believe something so much better. Believe that the kingdom of God is at hand. You can experience God right now at your job in your family. You can do the same things this coming week that you did last week. You could do them for very different reasons. And even if just one thing changes and that's your attitude, that's your heart towards what you're doing, that's huge. That's success. That's faithfulness. And God will love you the same and his love propels our faithfulness. So let's pray together. Father, thank you for grace. Pray that you would change us individually, even as a church, to perceive and view faithfulness to you as success. Thank you for making it possible for us to be faithful because of Jesus' faithfulness during his life, during his death, and during his life now, because he's alive. Help us to listen to you. Amen.